Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. As we continue our series on the radical parables of Jesus, we turn again to the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew's gospel contains a plethora of parables. And today's parable, I'm sorry to tell you, is no more direct than the others, are more consistent. And yet, I think when we read them, we still find ourselves searching for some shared theme across these parables, some nugget of truth, a way perhaps to connect the dots about this whole kingdom of heaven thing. And the possible illustrations of the kingdom of heaven are certainly not exhausted by Matthew, not even by Jesus. It seems that no one impression will suffice, and maybe that's the point, that parables are not an explanation, but instead an invitation to consider what the kingdom of heaven even is when the kingdom cannot be seen, how it is near, and can be experienced right here and right now, even when it seems so excruciatingly absent. So here now, another parable from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. And Jesus told the crowds this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and reburied, then in his joy. He goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. together God in all your tender compassion the dawn from on high it will break on us shining on those living in shadow
Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that somebody hid in a field which someone else found. There's nothing like a great hidden treasure story to capture our human imagination, whether we are children reading the great adventure novel Treasure Island or we're a movie buff watching the swashbuckling Indiana film series or whether we're just sluggish couch potatoes watching reruns of Antique Roadshow on PBS. We all love a good hidden treasure story. A story about somebody finding a a treasure chest of gold and gems or someone questing after the legendary Holy Grail or somebody just stumbling upon some 15th century Chinese vase that happens to be sold at a sleepy neighborhood yard sale. Because I think we can all imagine that experience of just sheer joy, the unexpected joy of finding some hidden treasure. About 10 years or so ago, um, there was this Northern California couple who just happened to be walking their dog on their seven-acre property when they stumbled upon a metal rusty can partially exposed in the earth. And as they dug that can up, as as well as the dozens of other cans that were around it, they discovered about 1,500 gold coins that had been buried there over a century earlier during the California gold rush, valued in today's dollars at around $10 million. It's crazy luck, right? It's just sheer joy. A great hidden treasure story like the one that Jesus told about another purely accidental, unexpected find. And just like that Northern California couple, this guy in Jesus' parable wasn't looking for hidden treasure at all. In fact, he was just minding his own business when all at once he had no idea that he would stumble along and find this buried treasure. Except this story that Jesus tells is fundamentally different in this way. And that is that this treasure that he finds, he finds in a field that doesn't actually belong to him. He doesn't own the field. He's just a field hand. and He's working his boss's land when suddenly unexpectedly the plow blade strikes something hard beneath the surface. And he stops and he bends down on both knees and he pushes away the dirt and there it is. Buried treasure. Now this is where the story gets a little sketchy. The question is, what will he do about this new, potentially life-changing discovery? I mean, the field doesn't belong to him, which means the treasure is not technically his. What would you do? Would you call the landowner over and spill the beans? Well, our field hand in the story does not. Instead, he casually, and this is just my imagination, but he casually looks around to see if anybody's looking, and then he discreetly kicks some dirt back over the treasure to rebury it. And next, he goes right to the landowner and says, I'm going to take a lunch break right now. At which point, he, he, he runs immediately to the local bank. He pours out, empties out his, uh, his savings account, and he comes back to the landowner, and he says, again, this is just me imagining things, but he says something like, 
Hey, boss, I got a, I got a crazy proposition for you. I've been thinking I might want to buy this field. I mean, I don't know why, really. The field's probably worth nothing. I mean, it's rocky, it's barren, arid. Uh, you know, come to think of it, um, I'd be a fool to buy this land. Never mind, boss, uh, forget what I said. And, unless, and he says, look, you're a good businessman, and I'm a motivated buyer, and you caught me in a moment of weakness, and you, look, you've already twisted my arm enough. Um, how about I just pay you cash right now? Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Like, this guy's a weasel? A complete schmuck? Doesn't he have a moral responsibility to tell the landowner about the buried treasure? Isn't there some contractual legal obligation to be honest here? Well, if you want to go full Columbo on this guy, you'd probably have an open and shut case, but you completely miss the point of the parable. Jesus isn't here giving us a lesson on real estate law. He's telling us what it's like when the kingdom of God, when heaven on earth, if you will, is finally revealed to us and we discover it, we unearth it, we receive it. Uh, When we finally encounter the kingdom of heaven, heaven on earth, that is God's highest ideals and values and purposes for creation, when that divine reality is finally revealed to us, what will we do? Will we do everything necessary to claim it for ourselves and for the world? Will we cash out for it? Will we sell out to it? We push all of our chips to the center of the table in order to get it because we want that sheer joy of heaven on earth. This story is not about a, it's not a moral about a financial windfall or finding lost money. This is a parable really about the lengths to which you and I will go to get heaven on earth when we see it. And it asks us, how far will you go to bring heaven on earth. Three years ago, a man by the name of Jack Stoof, after a very long and deliberate search, found a real treasure chest of gold and jewels that decades prior had been hidden in the Rocky Mountains by another man whose name was Forrest Fenn. And the legend of the Fenn treasure and that haunt is a great hidden treasure story And it's probably closer to what Jesus implied when he told his parable. The story is that in 1988, a man by the name of Forrest Fenn, a decorated Vietnam War hero, a poet, and an art dealer, living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, was sadly diagnosed with terminal cancer. And that diagnosis inspired him to go into the mountains and hide a treasure chest of gold nuggets and rare coins and jewelry and gemstones somewhere, as he said, quote, in the Rocky Mountains north of Santa Fe. (laughs) Millions and millions and millions of acres, right? He had this idea that he would generate this widespread public search for the buried treasure. Well, it turns out, years later, Fenn actually recovered from his illness. But in 2010, he wrote a book called The Thrill of the Chase. And in that book, he included about a 25-line poem containing these cryptic hints and clues about where the treasure 
could be found, a treasure valued at about $2 million. Suddenly, the public chase for the Fen treasure was on. And over the next 10 years, thousands of people from all over the world journeyed into the Rocky Mountains in search of the Fen treasure. Five people died in their search. Others went bankrupt. Many people spent countless days hunting for it. And it wasn't until 2020, just three months before Fenn died, that this 32-year-old medical student from Michigan found the treasure hidden somewhere in Wyoming. It took him, his name is Jack Stoof, it took him 25 full days over the course of two very full years of planning to finally claim it. And what Stoof said upon being interviewed, I think contains the whole meaning of the parable that Jesus tells us. He says this, he said, I'm a little embarrassed by how obsessed I was with the treasure. Obsessed. Is there anything of great meaning or purpose that you obsess over? Anything for which you are going to some great length right now to find or to claim for yourself or for the world? I imagine after you list all the obvious things like your kids, your grandkids if you have them, your spouse or partner if you have one, your family and closest friends, what else beyond those things are so important to you that it almost feels like sometimes you obsess over them? One of our great struggles as human beings is knowing what's worth obsessing over and what's not, what's worth pursuing above all else, what's so important, in other words, that we will drop everything and spend our last dime and maybe even our last breath to get. Jesus once said, where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be also. And he said that because he understood that we always will give our attention and our energy and our resources and our brain power and our soul itself to whatever it is that we deem most important. But our problem is we don't always recognize what's most important. And isn't it true that in the modern world everything seems so important and that we obsess over everything? The job, the promotion, the bonus, the office with the view, Uh, Will we get our kids into the right preschool? Will they get the right grades and the right SAT and get into the right college? We obsess about the car, the house, later on in life, the retirement plans and college education fund. It can all feel so important. It's part of modern life. We, We tend to buy a lot of fields over the course of our lives. And we tend to pour everything into them, believing that there may be buried treasure hidden in them. And we spend our whole lives sometimes uh, speculating about fields that never produce any treasure. We're looking for things that matter and some purpose, some meaning beyond ourselves, and that's hard to find. In the process, what happens is sometimes we bury ourselves. In fact, the Greek word for a treasure in this particular parable is a word that will sound familiar to you, thesaurus, from which we get the word thesaurus, which means literally a receptacle of values or valuables. 
But every so often in classical Greek literature, that word thesauros is also used. It's also used for the word coffin or casket. Isn't that weird? Isn't it maybe as if the parable is saying to us, the kingdom of heaven is is like when somebody finally discovers that most vital and beautiful and purposeful part of themselves that has been buried for far too long. Maybe the treasure is us. Every day we make choices about the fields that we're going to buy. And sometimes we don't know whether they're going to pan out or not. And the question for us is, how do we know? And how do we avoid burying ourselves in the very fields that we buy? I read some very helpful advice about 10 years ago from the business writer Susie Welch. Welch says, well, this sounds a lot like what Jesus would have taught, actually. Welch says that there are ways that we can uh, decide appropriately on what we're going to give ourselves to. And she calls uh, this uh, the 10-10-10 principle. I love it. She says, think about, think about your choices across three different timelines. How will I feel about it in 10 minutes from now? How will I feel about it 10 months from now? How will I feel about it 10 years from now? It's really interesting, as it turns out, I've been following her advice for about 10 years. There's deep wisdom in it. Um, and I don't know, I was thinking about 10 years ago. Ten years ago, I got a phone call to think about becoming the senior pastor of a church in Denver called St. Andrew. Um, When I made the decision to move my family from San Diego to Denver, uh, the jury was still out in those first ten minutes, right? I mean, on the one hand, it felt so wonderful to be needed and to be wanted by some high-potential church at the time. On the other hand, Lori thought I had lost my mind. And she may have not been speaking to me for quite a while. I don't know. That's just between us. But the decision, in other words, in those first 10 minutes, you wouldn't know what the verdict was. Um, Within 10 months of making that decision, we had finally arrived, and Lori was talking to me a little bit more. And, uh, And that was good. But every time it seemed that my pastoral plow blade hit something in the fields, it felt more like a rock or a landmine than treasure. It was just hard work. Some of you were here 10 years ago. Things were hard for this church. This church was in major transition. There weren't many treasures, in other words, to be unearthed at the time. It was just challenging times. And so who in those first 10 months really could say that it was a great decision for Feldmeyer to come to St. Andrew? Maybe not just for me, but maybe for some of you. But almost 10 years later, here we are. And haven't we hid a few hidden treasures in our field along the way? And Lori is actually talking to me again. And, and there's no question that, that the decision was a good one. All of this is to say something that I think applies to every one of us. And that is that most of us make our decisions based on the first two tens. Will it make me feel good in the next ten minutes? And will I be happy about this? 10 months from now. And we never think about the 10-year plan. We settle for short-term bliss 
And sometimes that means long-term loss. We settle for finding pocket change in the fields when there's buried treasure in some other field that we haven't recognized. We play safe and slow when sometimes risk and obsession is the wise play. And so this parable reminds us that would we even recognize treasure if we struck it? Because life is so short, sometimes we think the worst thing that could ever happen to us is to not reach our goals, when the truth is the worst thing that can happen to us is having the wrong goals and reaching them. The parable calls us then to take some risks when it comes to finding what matters most and to not waste time. And that's what the field hand in the parable does. He runs right to the bank, he cashes out, he buys the field on the spot with cash. And Jesus says, what about you? Once we get past the essentials, what's on the list? What fields are you buying? Are you investing in your spiritual life, in your relationship with God? Are you investing in the needs of the world? Have you thought about maybe alleviating childhood hunger or eradicating gun violence or teen suicide or climate change or racism? This parable calls us to take urgent action with a short, a long, uh, urgent action with a long-term mindset. In my office, on my bookshelves are scattered a few holy relics and some unholy ones as well, but one of my most sacred objects in my office today, you can come see it anytime, is a simple bobblehead of Roberto Clemente. I was four years old when Clemente died. I never saw him play the game, only in film, but he's always been one of my heroes, and here's why. By the year 1972, Clemente had won four batting titles, one NL MVP, two World Series MVPs, and two World Series titles. He had been elected to the All-Star team 12 times. He had achieved everything imaginable. But by the year 1972, Clemente also, during that season, had hammered out just enough hits to get within reach of the coveted 3,000 hit club something that only 10 previous players had done before. He was within one hit of that treasured club on the last weekend of the season. On that last homestand of the season, Clemente, however, admitted that he was exhausted. And he was struggling physically and emotionally and mentally just to get up for every game. Part of it was he was in the twilight of his career. It had been a long season. He had been battling injuries. He was 38 years old. Part of it, too, was that his team had already made the playoffs, so whatever games they were playing out in the regular season were meaningless, mostly. No one was really watching, in other words. Attendance was dismal at Three River Stadium. And some even said that Clemente was considering sitting out that weekend and waiting until the following season to build up ticket sales in the preseason. But it turned out, of course, he did play. And on Saturday, September 30th, 1972, he lined a double into left field and stood on second base and saluted the crowd. But here's the shocker. The crowd was small. There were only that day 13,000 people in attendance. Here is one of the biggest stars in more than a century of baseball, doing something that only 10 other players had done before, 
And Three River Stadium was four-fifths empty. Most fans, they didn't see the living treasure right in front of them. And they missed greatness. If you know the story of Clemente, you can look up his stats. Clemente died with exactly 3,000 hits. Three months after that 3,000th hit, he jumped on a plane to go to Nicaragua with supplies for earthquake victims when his DC-7 plunged into the Atlantic Ocean. At the age of 38, he was gone. But before that accident, he said this, and this is why I have his bobblehead in my office. He said, anytime you have an opportunity to make a difference in the world and you don't, you're just wasting time on this earth. Jesus said it another way. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that somebody hid in a field and someone else found it and full of joy, they find or sold everything and bought the field. Takeaways for today, not every field that we buy contains the kind of hidden treasure that satisfies. Jesus calls us to take urgent action with a long-term mindset. And true joy is selling out to that which we cannot live without. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.